All right. So let's get started. Um, okay. So I've kind of told you a little bit about myself, that we own a business in Benbrook, uh, an aerospace business. Well, big week at Indy E-Labs this week. Um, we're having our big NADCAP audit. Okay. So y'all are going to want to write this down. What is NADCAP, right? National Aerospace and Defense Accreditation Program. Contractors. I missed a C in there. Okay, so we always stress about this, this thing. It's like a huge, huge deal. It's just a big audit where they come in and they see if you're doing everything right. If you don't get these, the approval, you don't get to do work. Okay, so lots of, people depend, <laughs> lots of people depending on us. Well, you know, we do this every year, year and a half. So, you know, we're kind of used to it. Well, three months ago, as Ray started looking at all the requirements, he realized that everything had changed. And a, just a major part. And, I mean, he has been so stressed ever since. And so this is the week that they're here. So, and, I, you know, I, because of empathy for him, I'm just feeling so frustrated, you know, that it's like, gosh, you know, why do we have to have this audit? Okay, why, I mean, really, do we have to do this every year? And I, you know, kind of getting frustrated about it. And then as I was going through the lab the other day, um, that's what we call it, the lab, um, it's not a lab. I don't know why we call it that, but sidebar. Um, I see these huge things, and what they are is the Sikorsky S-76 helicopter, big covering for the transmission. Well, I don't know if any of you have heard that term, but that is the helicopter that went down on Sunday with Kobe. And it was just immediately obvious. It's like, that's why we get audited. There, the things that we do, big and small, have to do with safety. We need an adherence to a standard. And so uh, so do we as believers. So what we're gonna, I'm going to put before us today is, does it matter if we live holy lives? That's the question I'm going to pursue and try to answer. Uh, but before we get started, I want to call your attention to a couple of things. I'm a kind of a movie buff. I don't know, if, have any of y'all seen A Hidden Life? It is the new Terrence Malick film. I haven't seen it. Supposedly amazing. But no, 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 no. I, I haven't seen it. So, but the, I mean, I can't spoil the general gist, which is that this uh, German. It's based on a true story. Uh, basically, for he he decides to resist the Nazi, uh, the German Nazis, and so as a believer, he he believes that he he needs to resist. Well. It's at this huge personal cost to him. Okay, so that's the setup for the movie. But the question throughout is, is it worth it? It's like what you do, uh, Hans, I think it was his name, is not going to affect this huge scale thing. And in the midst of it all, you're suffering greatly. So why would you do this? And so, you know, once again, here we are in First Peter with all these Christians it's, it's suffering, and, and it brings up, is it worth it? Okay. Well, then, you know, it's grandiose to think, oh, you know, what would I do in that situation? But basically, we live in the little things, don't we? I mean, it's like nobody's asking me to renounce my faith or stand against Nazism. I live in the little things. And uh, an illustration came uh, from a person who was talking about taking a ride on an airplane. He's seated in the airplane, mother and a child arguing about who's going to get the middle seat. He's got the aisle. 
I mean, I'm sorry, he's got the window. So mother on the aisle, kid in the middle, and, uh, or he was in the middle. I, I'm getting the story all wrong. The bottom line was he thought, you know, I could totally make this easier if I just switched seats, all right? Didn't matter, and, and nobody would know if he did it or not, but so he offers, and the woman is just so grateful. Well, he sees her looking back at the, you know, they do it. She see, he sees her looking back to the back of the plane, and all of a sudden he goes, do you have another child? And she says, yes. She, you know, she's in the last row back there by the toilets, you know. And he's, so immediately goes, oh, no. <laughs> okay. So, you know, he starts, you know, the internal battle. You know, I could give him, this child, my seat. But I'm going to go back to the very back of the plane, cramp seats, smell of the toilet the whole time. And he decides to do it. Okay. And offers him the seat. So definitely a little thing. And, and in the scheme of things, you go, well, does it matter, really? I mean, nobody would have known if he hadn't done that. So that's where we live our lives. You know, these decisions we make, does it matter? So let's get started. Let's read the text and uh, get started. So if you have a device or a Bible, 1 Peter 1, verse 13 through 25. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address his Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, or gold from your feudal way of, ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Let me pray. Father, I pray that in this few moments we have, would you speak through your word and speak us back to life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is like my third time around teaching about holiness. Okay, so I don't know if it's like holy, holy, holy. And so I've got to teach on holiness, holiness, holiness. But it's like First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4 was excel still more, and this is God's will, your sanctification. And then Second Thessalonians was marveling at the righteous judge. And so I don't know if, like, I'm supposed to be, like, maybe I haven't learned it enough to be able to, to move on. But today I'm teaching on holiness again. I feel like this is, <clears throat> Ray and I have a, a saying he got this from a friend. He said, 
I don't understand it. I'm just explaining it. Okay. So that's kind of where I feel like I am on this. So this passage is really an expounding on verse 2 from the first chapter. It said, to the, to the chosen scattered, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Okay, I think he's taking that, this sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey, and, and grace and peace being yours in fullest measure, and he's filling it out. <clears throat> so let's start with um, a definition of holiness. I think I've got a little bit out of order on your sheets. So the definition of holiness is it is morally or spiritually excellent and dedicated to God for a specific purpose. Okay, so there's two aspects of the biblical teaching on holiness. I'm going to call them positional holiness and practical holiness. So positional holiness is what happens when you're born again. You are declared holy. We are in Christ. The Father sees us as he sees the Son. We have, it's a technical term, he, we have his imputed righteousness. His righteousness, all his perfect obedience is ours. It's in our, on our record. We are considered holy in God's eyes. But there's also this idea of practical holiness. Okay, um, we have very clear indication in Scripture that we all have sin. In fact, there is a verse that says, If you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. Okay, so we lay in the groundwork. We all have sin. We're called holy, yet we have sin, and we're growing in holiness. So have you ever heard the term legal fiction? Okay, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Is that what's going on in our declaration of holiness? Legal fiction, what is that? It's this idea that when the court says something is true, it's true, but it might not be actually true. So let me give you an example. Like in an adoption situation, you'll go before the court, and one of the things they will tell the birth parents is that you are now becoming strangers to this child. Okay, so, so the court is ruling you're a stranger to this child. But in actuality, their biologicalness did not change, correct? But their legal standing did change. So, so what I'm asking now is, is it just a legal fiction that God declares us holy? Like, he's declared it, but are we going to actually be holy? And so... <clears throat> There's this idea of a term called cognitive dissonance. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard that term. It's basically a fancy way of saying, do your belief and your actions match? Okay? <clears throat> so if they don't match, you have cognitive dissonance, meaning things don't seem right. Okay. So they say, how do you fix cognitive dissonance? You either change what you believe, or you change your actions, or you justify yourself. Okay, so, so let me get, put a little example behind this. God says we're holy. There's the belief. God says we're holy. We don't act holy. Uh-oh, action problem. Now, so how do we fix that problem? We either change our belief, well, God doesn't say we're holy, or... Maybe it doesn't matter that we're holy or 
or we change our actions and we start to be holy, or we justify ourselves. Well, here's why I'm not holy, okay? Let me give you my reasons. I feel like we live on number three, <laughs> honestly. It's like I, I don't know that we, we change our beliefs all that often, but, but that is how, humanly speaking, we, we interact. So holiness seems to kind of have fallen on hard times lately. I don't know if it's like currently cool to talk about holiness. I think it's feared that if you preach grace, people won't care about holiness. Uh, And it's not a new fear. Back in the 1500s, when John Calvin was debating with the Catholic Cardinal Sadaletto, this is what this Roman Catholic Cardinal said, if it is preached that God saves people by his grace alone... People will be given no reason to want holiness. After all, if my holiness doesn't contribute in any way to my getting saved, why should I bother? I've got grace, after all. So Calvin had an answer for that, as you might imagine. And he countered and he said, This cardinal has fundamentally misunderstood salvation as if it were something other than being brought to know, love, and so want to please a beautiful, holy God. For Calvin, salvation was not about receiving something called grace, but about freely receiving the Spirit, and so the Father and the Son. So are we scared to emphasize holiness? Do people actually recognize that growth in holiness is normative? So John Owen said his primary aim in life was to promote holiness. And so... I mean, you see things all the time. I see. I saw this on Twitter. I, this one was kind of crazy. You know, on Twitter, you know, it's basically people you don't know, generally. I'm not saying always. So something was coming across my timeline. I didn't know this person. And the only reason I was seeing it was because somebody I knew liked it. It's complicated. Anyway, so I'm seeing this thing. And it's just this F-bomb thing of I didn't get this job. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's upset. So, you know, naturally being curious, it's like, why is he doing this? I look and see what job he didn't get. He didn't get a ministry campus job on the, the whatever school it was. And I'm just like, what? Are you kidding me right now? So there was just this, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I hope someone in his life is showing that this, these things don't go together. Yeah, yeah, you can be upset, but... This, this idea that you would do something like that, putting it out there. And then, you know, not to cast stones, but I'm sitting there preparing this lecture on holiness, right? I'm writing, I'm doing all these things. And I've had this situation that has been incredibly troubling. And I got news that uh, this person was... Uh, had been asked to do, he's a minister, and he had been asked to do a wedding. Okay, well, his life is in a complete shambles. He's in sin. It's all this horrible stuff. And and I'm sitting there feeling so frustrated about that. So I decided to text my son that, and I didn't say anything that wasn't true. I didn't slam him, but I did it. And then I thought, why on earth did I do that? It's like, what possible edification does it have for my son? So as I'm writing this talk on holiness, I'm <laughs> struck by the incredible ridiculousness of this whole thing. So it's like I felt the need to 
to ask for forgiveness for him for doing that. But the big idea from this text is that God commands that we be holy. And that's your first blank on the sheet. The prevalence in the word of the word holy in scripture is quite a bit more than grace or forgiveness. If you Google on the Bible how many times you see grace, how many times you see for, for forgiveness, holy far surpasses it. It's like 300 for grace, 300 for, for forgiveness, and it's like 1,500 for holy. Okay, I mean, that alone tells you where God places this in his uh, importance level. And it's, it's all throughout Scripture. I mean, we see it in the Old Testament, but we, we see it in the burning bush. You know, Moses comes near the burning bush, and God immediately says, take off your sandals. The, the ground you're standing on is holy. Uh, <clears throat> we see it in the Levitical laws. In fact, the passage here, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It should be familiar. It's all through Leviticus. We have Uzzah. You know, as the ark was being carried back to Israel and the cart stumbles and he grabs, he stumbles and he touches the holy ark and he's struck dead by God. Ah, we have Isaiah who sees God and immediately, woe is me. I mean, there is this, this weightiness to the holiness of God. And so as I was thinking on this word, it's like, this is central to our faith. Holiness is central to our faith. Do we ever describe someone as holy? I mean, I started thinking about it, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know that I've ever said, well, you know, she's really holy. <laughs> I don't, okay, why is that? Okay. And, I mean, we kind of use it as holier than thou, which is, you know, obviously not, not the best implication. But we don't say holy. And I think it's because we really don't have a great concept of what it even means to be holy. But... It should be a very desirable description of someone. To be holy is to be like Jesus. Jesus is the picture of human flourishing. Um, we kind of see holiness as this idea of what we don't do. Um, as someone said, nobody's impressed by what you don't do. Okay, And if God, God didn't create you not to do something, <laughs> that wasn't his purpose. If that had been his goal, he would have never formed you. Because if you had never existed, you would have never sinned. But holiness is a positive attribute in addition to what we don't partake in. <clears throat> One other way we see the illustration of our deficient view of holiness. And I'm going to say this phrase. I'm probably going to step on toes, but I'm stepping on my own because I've said it. Okay. So, here's the phrase that I really don't like. Okay, here it is. God is more concerned with your holiness than with your happiness. Okay? I don't like that phrase. Why do I not like that phrase? Because it presents this false choice that holiness and happiness don't go together. Now, I will say, in some fairness, holiness can be difficult. Holiness can be hard. But in essence, holiness is about our flourishing. So it is good for us, and it is not in contrast to our happiness. Basically, I feel like our problem is we don't connect holiness with love. <clears throat> Verse 22 ties together it 
for us here in this passage. It says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again. And then it goes on. But, I mean, for Peter, holiness and love, they're, they're together. Implanted love, the seed of the gospel, produces holiness. It produces love. Holiness, uh, the whole law, which is the holiness, the whole law is summed up in love of God and love of others. My favorite theologian at the church, Darwin Jordan, I asked him his, his take on holiness. And this is, this is a Darwin quote. It is helpful to me to see holiness as a measure of just how intensely God loves and just how intensely he hates anything that is not love. It's like, isn't that a great definition of holiness? Can you say that one more time? Sure. It is helpful to me to see holiness as a measure of just how intensely God loves and just how intensely he hates anything that is not love. Okay, and I'm running out of time. Big surprise. All right, so in light of that, we, we need to respond to this, this idea that God commands us to be holy. What do we do? Okay, I'm going to take it from the first verse of this, this passage we've read. I feel like it is that verse, 13, is the point of this passage, and it just expands on it. So... What are our actions? First, we prepare our minds for action. Okay, the last thing I want you to do is feel more pressure of what to do. So many of y'all are doing so many things. And I will say that what we're doing right now is preparing. We are transforming our minds to think the way God thinks. But In addition, we need to prepare our minds for action. We need to act on these things. Uh, So what I'd like you to do is assess your resources and your opportunities. What are your resources? You may be in the stage of life. It's like there is no more thing I could possibly do. And so there is no guilt there. But we do have resources and we have opportunities. Only you know yours. But prepare your minds for action. The second thing is to keep sober in spirit. I'm looking at that like, you know, sober, drunk, but also asleep and awake. And that's where I got the title, Holy Awake. Let us be awake to reality. You know, I have this, this every, every morning I get up, I literally like just stumble out of bed. I'm like, like this and I can't think, I can't see. And it's like, if I don't do something to change that, coffee you know, time, you know, whatever I'm, it's, it's, it's a bad way to live life. I can't even imagine living life that way, but I wonder if that's the way I live life spiritually. Like, am I really waking up? So wake up to reality. Maybe, maybe this, the best thing you can say as you start your day is I'm going to run across people who are created in the image of God all day. You know, how do I want to treat them? Okay, so then we come to this last phrase in verse 13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here is the truth. The law cannot produce what it commands. 
I could tell you all day to be holy. And I guarantee you, probably everybody in this room, when I started talking, was like, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that. We all know this. How do we actually start to be holy when the command is not enough to get it done? It's right there in verse 3. Fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The law is the mirror. It shows us what God is like and what we're like, but it can't make us beautiful. I mean, isn't that a great illustration? You get in front of the mirror, but you're not beautiful, right? You just you just seeing what you got. We need some <laughs> Sorry. You are right, Janet. I repent in dust and ashes. But we need something else. We need something to make us beautiful. We need the word of God. And so we need the logos of God. Uh, it's interesting. There's three times he says the word of God in this passage. Logos is the one used in verse 23. That's the one in John. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's the word he uses there. The, the living and enduring word. And then the next two verse, verse translations of word is rima, which is more like the spoken word, words that we speak. But it's very interesting. He starts this passage with fix your hope fully on gra- the grace of God to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he ends with this, this passage here. And, and honestly, it doesn't grab us like it probably grabbed Peter's readers. Like if I, as Americans, if I said, I pledge allegiance, y'all would all say, I mean, you know it, right? That, this passage is kind of like that for his hearers. It's like when, when they see this, for all flesh is like grass. It's like, oh, they're all going, oh, I know that. You know, and we're all just flying by it to get to the end of our thing. It doesn't jump at us. It comes from Isaiah 40. Okay, we studied Isaiah a couple of years ago. It really made an impression. One of the things that I took away from that was they called Isaiah the little Bible, because there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. There's 66 books in the Bible. There are the first 39 uh, chapters of Isaiah are about the the old covenant. And in in chapter 40, where our New Testament would start, we have 39 books in the Old Testament. And chapter 40 is like a gospel, okay? The first words in Isaiah 40 are comfort comfort my people. And as he comes down through Isaiah 40, as he starts to unfold the the suffering servant to, it's like, be ready. Your Messiah is coming. He starts with all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So this So as they hear that, they're immediately thinking of this incredible passage of the coming Messiah. And this is verse 9, the verse right after what we just read there in Isaiah 40. It says, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. And then, I mean, it's like I would love to just read all of verse 40 because then it starts to unpack the Messiah. Just 
character attribute after character attribute of who God is. This earthly life is all we have to know Christ in this way. Once we know him, once we know him face to face, we will be transformed to be like him. In the meantime, this life offers us a unique way to know him. It, this life offers opportunities to show him to others. There are unique joys to be had in this life. So may we live lives that so resemble our Savior that we have credibility when we speak of our King. When we tell them about Jesus and say, here is your God, they will have gotten a glimpse of his good character through your life. Do our lives matter? Does holiness matter? It absolutely matters. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So I thought, I know we're running along in time. Do we have time to sing or no? Okay, we're going to take time. I'm sorry, if you got to go, you got to go.